Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. A vet at Petty is in heaven, Harlem's heaven, hat shop and studio that is. For more than 30 years, she has designed hats and accessories in her uptown Manhattan location. And her creations have graced the heads of everyone from runway models to actresses to church going seniors. They've been worn to the Kentucky Derby and England's Royal Ascot. Avet has made hats for movies, television shows, fashion magazine covers, and articles, including Vogue, Essence, Jet, Marie Claire, the New York Times. Her work's been exhibited at the Metropolitan Museum of Art Couture Hat Exhibit, the Museum of Arts and Design Global Africa Project. And she's traveled the world looking for unusual textiles to create a more global headwear experience. Oh, and did I mention that she was named an emerging entrepreneur by the President William Jefferson Clinton Foundation? Aveta has a degree in textiles and fashion marketing from New York's Fashion Institute of Technology. So let's meet and get to know Aveta Petty. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely from Harlem today. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, my name is Aveta Petty and I am a hat designer. When you were growing up, did hats play a major role in your youth? Well, you know, I grew up in the South, uh, in Alabama and Florida, and uh, from, uh, you know, church-going people, I grew up with my grandparents in the beginning, and everybody wore hats. Of course, we wore hats to church on Sunday, but hats were an everyday thing. You know, people really did not leave the house without some kind of little headpiece or a cap. My grandfather always wore a fedora or a cap. So it was really part of our everyday dressing routine. I have a, a great photo of when I was about six years old of me and my granddad dressed to the nines. And I had on <laughs> a hat to match my dress, you know. <laughs> so your outfit was not complete unless you had something on your head. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I was in the deep South. I was in the backwoods. So there, there was not a whole lot going on. So it was me and my sewing machine a lot of the time. And mm -hmm. I also, you know, I was just creative. I made jewelry um, and my relatives, they saw that talent at an early age and they nurtured it. You know, mm -hmm. instead of dolls, I got like a jewelry making kit or a handbag making kit for Christmas. So I've always done this sort of thing. And I knew I wanted to be in the fashion industry. So when I uh, came to New York, thank God I had an aunt that lived here. Uh, and, I, and I decided to go to FIT. I was not a design major. I actually studied textiles and marketing. I made hats as a hobby on mm -hmm. the side. Mm -hmm. So that was how I got started with hats. It was really just for fun and for myself. But did you, had you been up East from the South growing up or was New York just a huge shock for you? I came every summer starting from when I was six years old. Oh, so okay. I spent every summer in New York City. So you were a veteran. Uh, yeah, I was here. I had very fashionable relatives here and I was really exposed to all the society luncheons and my aunt was very involved in her sorority and, you know, they had lots of teas and receptions. So I was exposed to dressing up and, you know, going to fancy parties very early on. So I knew what that whole scene was like. I enjoyed the fashion of it all. And like I said, I came every summer 
I was, you know, absorbed in all of New York City. And then I went back, you know, to the South for the school year. And then summer again, back in New York. Was it a bizarre (laughs) transition to go from one extreme to the other, even though you were a veteran of it? It was extremely bizarre because uh, it was it was two different worlds, really. Uh, when I would be here in the summertime, my aunt would enroll me in uh, Harlem School of the Arts, where I took, you know, ballet and piano and violin lessons. And then I'd go back to the Deep South, where there was hardly anything to do. <laughs> but all we did was, you know, like we baked cakes and, you know, there was like the 4-H club, right. you know, things like that. Navigating between the two worlds was very interesting. And then after uh, high school graduation, I was here the next day in New York City. When my aunt came to my graduation, I said, there is no way you're leaving me here. (laughs) 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 I mean, even for my graduation gift from my mom, I asked for a set of luggage. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's one thing to vacation here and be here in the summertime. What was that like to be a year-round resident, so to speak? I loved it. I mm-hmm. loved it. Um, as I said, my my aunt and uh, her friends and her colleagues were totally immersed in fashion. My godfather, Kermit Morgan, had one of the swankiest men's clothing stores on the Upper West Side where he had all kinds of celebrity clients and you know he dressed all the NBA players and the mayor of Atlanta oh my god so I mean I would walk in the shop I don't know if you remember Reverend Ike one of the most famous uh uh ministers back I in the sure day. do yes he, ma'am. he was a customer so I'd come home from school from FIT and I'd go straight to that shop and uh uh, 95th in Amsterdam, and I'd walk in there, and you never know who'd be in there. So I so learned that's a perfect example of on-the-job <laughs> training, really, right? Let me tell you, I was running around helping those men pick out their neckties, <laughs> their silk pocket squares. I mean, I learned customer service, and I learned about high-end merchandise also because he sold all those beautiful Italian suits and. And just the best of everything for men. It, the store was called Le Mans, and it was a beautiful store for men back in as the in 80s. The, as in the racetrack? Le Mans? Yeah, oh, yeah okay. exactly. That was the name of the store. Le Mans Haberdashers. So when you were going to school and it was time for you to declare a major, what were you thinking? Well, I knew that I wanted to be in the fashion industry, but I I really wanted to be sort of behind the scenes. So my first jobs were in buying offices as a a rep for a particular line. I had a friend who worked in that area and she loved it so much. And I said, I I, kind of think that's the kind of fashion job that I want. So I was an assistant buyer to start out. And I worked for some interesting companies. I worked for Bry Lane, who is the parent company for Victoria's Secret and Lane Bryant, starting in 83. I graduated from FIT 1983. And then I started working, like I said, for different companies. Um, I worked, like I said, for Bry Lane. But I had a very interesting job after that. I worked for a sculptor and an artist from Israel. Her name was Alana Gur. 
And she had done all these beautiful monuments in Israel. And then she decided to go into the accessories industry. Whoa, what a 180. (laughs) I know, I know. I know she went from these giant monuments in the middle of the, <laughs> of the city, you know, in different cities in Israel and to designing handbags and jewelry <laughs> and these wonderful belts that had gigantic buckles, you know. Mm-hmm. So I worked in her showroom, repping her line and uh, starting as a showroom assistant and then repping the line. And we sold to about 800 stores all over the country. Wow. So that was great experience. Great experience. But at that point, Mm -hmm. you're still not necessarily designing anything, are you? Just for myself. Just the hats for fun. Okay. (laughs) Just the hats for fun. All during this, you know, my, my regular working career, I'm playing around with different things, but only for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the hats got so much attention. I mean, just anywhere I went, oh my God, where'd you get that hat? Where can I get one like that? So my aunt, who uh, was really, really a hardworking woman and also an entrepreneur herself said, you know what? Let's try a pop-up shop. Let's try one of the markets in Soho. Let's, 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 let's test these hats out. So, you know, we get a space in one of the Soho markets and the hats sell out like immediately. Oh, my. They just really sold. So, you know, we do the markets occasionally on the weekends while I'm still working. And there was something opening up called the Soho Emporium on West Broadway between Spring and Broom. And it was going to be like a mini mall, I would Mm -hmm, say. mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you could rent a space and set up your tiny little store, you know, in like an eight by 10, you know, or 10 by 10, I should say space. So she says, you know what, let's rent one of these spaces and, and see, you know, a little storefront kind of thing. But within this mall, you know, where you've got all this traffic walking through because there's about 20 other, uh, you know, designers set up. Let's try it. That was a good little space. And it was a, a great success, a great success, because it was packed with tourists every weekend. And it was a very good selling space. So your your clientele back in that day was of every stripe. I got tourists and then I'd get celebrities walking through. Oh. And that's where I met um, Larry Blackman from a group back then that was extremely popular. The group was called Cameo and they had tons of hit records. And he wanted me to make some crazy hats for his video. So he was my first celebrity client. Back in the 80s. And he was he lived in Soho. So he you know, that was part of his weekend thing to walk through the Soho Emporium. So I did these hats for this video and that launched sort of my career for doing things for videos and celebs and magazines that he was my very, very first celebrity client. And he wore my hats, him and his whole group. They wore my hats on the Arsenio Hall show. Wow. (laughs) So you didn't discriminate in in terms of gender. You designed hats for men and women. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially the show business projects are so much fun because you get to do dramatic things. I mean, mm-hmm. I made big Jiffy Pop looking hats you know, <laughs> that look like the popcorn. popcorn. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was able to do really fun, exciting things. So at that point, did you just quit your job? 
I absolutely quit my job because my aunt said, you know what? There are all these spaces available uptown in Harlem. She was, she was very smart. She said, you're making hats. There's, there's all these churches, built-in hat customers. Let's move to Harlem. Uh-huh. So, so she found a store space. We moved out of the Soho Emporium and we took a space in Harlem. And, you know, the rest is history. That was over 30 years ago. And I'm in Harlem. That's just crazy. I take nothing away from your talent. Oh, yeah. Your creativity and ingenuity. How did you, and I use this term in quotes, mass produce the hats? I, I mean, if you're selling a shitload of hats, I mean, right? you know, it's time to make the donuts in that. <laughs> Well, there's not a whole lot of mass production per se. I mean, I was making all the hats myself. I have someone who who will help me sew occasionally and someone who will help me block hats, you know, occasionally. But I was really just cranking them out myself with not a whole lot of sleep. (laughs) Wow. How long does it take you to design and create a hat? Well, it really depends on what it is. You know, mm-hmm. there are some little cut and sew, little bucket fun hats, like some everyday hats that I'll get on the sewing machine and I could crank out a few of those in a day, you know. But then there are other projects. If I'm putting a Swarovski crystal on one by one, wow, if I'm yeah. adding feathers one by one, you know, a hat could take me three or four days. It really depends on what it is. Do you custom make your hats? Do I come in and say to you, I want a hat that and describe it to you and then you'll make it? You can, depending uh-huh. on what it is, you can. Mm-hmm. But I, I keep a lot of hats in stock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can just walk into my store and, you know, choose a hat. But there is an element of custom that I can do for you. And it's it's customers really like the idea of custom. I mean, there are not too many places where you can go in and say, you know, I need that hat, but I need, you know, green feathers and, and purple flowers on it because I've got green and purple in my dress. Right. You know, that sort of thing. People like that. <laughs> Your hats are not mass produced. And not in the real sense of the word. Let's put it that way. Not like huge factory production, hundreds at a time. No, nothing like that. Uh, the fascinators, the little head pieces, I sit and make every last one of those by hand wow. from beginning to wow. end. Then there are other hats, like I said, cut and sew fabric hats. I may have someone help me do the sewing mm-hmm. to produce more, mm-hmm. but it is all my design, my fabric choices, my shapes, uh, just someone to actually do the physical sewing. I will have help with that. And then there's blocking. Everybody doesn't, well, a lot of people don't really understand the term hat blocking, but it's really stretching the fabric, whether it be wool or straw, over a mold. Okay. And the mold itself is called a block. So uh, if it's a fedora or, you know, most hats have their own block. It comes, you know, that, that shape exists and you just sort of stretch the fabric over it while it's wet until it dries overnight. So blocking, I'll have help with because it's labor intensive and time consuming. Mm-hmm. And if I need a lot of hats blocked at one time, I'll have someone help me with that blocking process. But everything will come back to me for final finishing. Blocking is just someone doing the foundation, the moment. I got you. It comes, it comes back to me to get feathers, a band, 
uh, whatever kind of finishing, I might be hand painting on top of it. You know, I might be adding lace, but whatever or sequins, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. final finishing is all me. As I mentioned in the introduction that you traveled internationally looking for unusual textiles. What's an unusual textile? Well, uh, things that you wouldn't normally see in in, in, a, in a fabric store here in, in, in America, perhaps. Um, even though you can find just about anything in New York, but uh, you might be able to get a better price in the country where it's produced. For example, I spent some time in India and I like going to the old market in old Delhi and just looking around for appliques and, and all these beautiful um, fabrics that probably were made to be a sari or clothing. Mm-hmm. But I like to make hats out of things that w- you wouldn't normally see hats made out of. Um, I like working with unconventional materials. So just about anything can be hat fabric for me. <laughs> I love Talk it. to me about some of the highlights of your career, designing hats for huh, quote, the rich and famous or being at the Met. There must be days when you feel like you died and went to heaven. Well, it's it's incredible sometimes when I think about it, because I'm just, you know, a lady with a little hat store up in Harlem. But it's amazing where your hats can take you. And <laughs> <laughs> hat will travel. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I've had five editorials in Vogue. I've had uh, the cover of Harper's Bazaar, you know, all those museum exhibits and things of that nature. Who would have thought, you know, when I made my first crazy little hat that, that, that this is where they would go? And for people to show up at my store from all over the world who've already heard about me. So you don't even have to do any advertising. It's all word of mouth, basically. It's interesting how the word can get around. I mean, I I get these beautiful women from Sweden that show up with a guidebook that I'm in that I didn't even know I was in, (laughs) you know? So that kind of stuff is amazing to me. But all that traveling around, you know, looking for the unusual textiles and whatnot, that's the fun of it all. That is, oh my God, I love that. (laughs) Are you one of a kind? And what I mean by that is, not in terms of your designs, one of a kind in terms of the merchandising, that there are not a lot of Harlem's Heaven hat shop and studios around. Not a lot. I mean, there might be a handful of us, but not a lot. There are milliners that are making hats by hand. About you know, 12 years ago, uh, I became a part of an organization that had just started called the Milliners Guild. And we're trying to keep that art of handmade hats alive. So we've sort of banded together as a guild. I'm on the board of directors of the Milliners Guild. And it's important to keep this craft alive. So I am, I'm one of, of, of a handful of people that still do this. Just FYI, even though I don't have to tell this to you, but I looked up Milliner. The definition, I, I loved it, originally meant someone from Milan, Italy, in the early 16th century, referring to Milanese merchants who sold fancy bonnets, gloves, jewelry, and cutlery, and catered to women. So, I mean, that's you mm-hmm, to a, mm-hmm. <laughs> a T, <tea>, clearly. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And then that term sort of just, uh, you know, became the overall term for a hat. Maker. How do you feel about that? <laughs> do you, do you prefer being called a milliner or a hat maker? Um, both. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, you know, sometimes a lot of my colleagues are very touchy about it because to be a milliner, you really need to possess certain skills. There are a lot of people who may call themselves a milliner, but they don't really, really know how to block a hat mm -hmm. or, or they don't really know all the different components into really constructing a handmade high quality hat, you know? So the term milliner is a term of honor. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's a good thing to be called a milliner. <laughs> You have to be worthy of being yeah. called a milliner. That title. Yeah. 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 I want to tell you, I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but I do not own one hat. And if it mm -hmm. is 40 below, I will wear earmuffs. Why? Because I have naturally curly hair. The way I saw it, not only back in the day, but today as well, is if I put a hat on my head, and I don't think I could also carry it off in terms of <laughs> fashion style, but that's off to the side that my, it was just going to flatten my hair and I wasn't just going to look good. So I don't know hats at all. That was the other intrigue about getting to meet you. Mm -hmm. This is truly alien to me. Not that I can't appreciate what you do and uh -huh. notice it on other people, but it's just not part of my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Well, there are people who don't wear hats and are concerned about their hair, but it's a choice. You know, do I love wearing a hat? And also the purpose of wearing the hat. I think that you probably think of it more as a functional thing, just something for warmth and not necessarily a style. Or a statement. Item. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you're wearing a, a killer, gorgeous hat, you don't care about your yeah, hair at right, all. Right, right. <laughs> it's about the hat and how I look in this hat. You can comb your hair if you take the hat off. That's right. But you're not taking the hat off. Exactly. You know, men take their hat off at dinner. Women do not. And that's changing. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in terms of Let's go to the royal family. Whatever you're doing, you got a hat on your head. I just wonder if there's just a lot of stress connected to that. There's no stress because you know you're looking really good. I mean, it's part of your ensemble. And if it's something that you're just used to, it's not unusual. It's like if you carry a purse, I mean, you know, will you just stop carrying a purse all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> Are you used to it? Where are you going to put your stuff? Right. I, you know, I guess so. It's like, yeah, you know, a hat. Like I said, if it's part of your look, it's part of the ensemble. You wouldn't think of going out without the, the matching hat to your outfit. And, you know, those people have have stylists that help them get dressed. So there's no stress exactly. That's at all. Exactly, right. It's laid out and you put it on. Yeah, you put you it know? on and you shut up. <laughs> I wonder if I could you know, pull it off. If I came into your store and mm -hmm. I would need your help in terms of uh, mm -hmm. picking mm -hmm. out a hat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got a big mouth. I know that about me. I just don't know that I would you know, carry it off. Well, it's, it's also your attitude towards it. What do you want a hat for? Is it just because 
maybe the earmuffs are not enough <laughs> if it's super cold, <laughs> you know, and you want something that's going to be a little bit warmer if you're going to be outside for a while. Or have you decided that you want a new look mm. and you want to add a hat to your wardrobe, to, you know, just your wardrobe up a I little gotcha. bit? Do I want a cute fedora to put on when I'm running around, you know, and to my meetings and to my podcasts and to my interviews? Do I want do I want a, a really fabulous hat to match my coat in the summertime? Do I want a straw hat for sun protection? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it'll be stylish, but the sun isn't that great for your skin. Do I want something that'll serve me well both ways as protection and giving me a look? So. It really depends on your attitude towards a hat, why you want a hat, and if you'll be receptive to me helping, helping you. you. Mm-hmm. Or will you be one of those people, every hat I put in on your head, you'll be like, oh, no, I don't like think that. so. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, oh, no, I don't think it's me. Oh, I don't think I can pull it off. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Is there a time when you are not wearing a hat? Um, I'm almost, almost always wearing some kind of hat or a little headpiece. Mm-hmm. In the summer, I wear a lot of fascinators, you know, fancy little headbands and whatnot. If you know, if if um, if it's really really hot, but I always wear something on my head. Something. Do yeah. you get a lot of first time offenders coming into your store who have heard about you uh, and said, you know what? I do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it, both male and female. I'm going to tell you when that happens most. Okay. When someone gets invited to the Kentucky Derby. Or a luncheon, maybe the Conservancy luncheon or, or some other luncheon or just some kind of hat required event and they don't wear hats. That's when they come in and they really need my help. And it's important that, you know, you wear a hat to these hat required events or you really, really will feel out of place. Right. I, I have had women who have come to me a lot of them younger, who are going to the Kentucky Derby for the first time. And of course, everybody knows you're supposed to wear a hat with your outfit. You know, usually it's a three-day event. There are other races leading up to the big event on that Saturday. I've had young women come into the shop, try on a whole bunch of hats, look great in the hat, and look at me and say... Oh, I don't know. Let me just go back and think about it. I'm not sure. Maybe my dress is pretty enough. Then they get to Louisville, Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) And a phone call that says, you know that pink hat I tried on? Can you FedEx that hat to my hotel? Really? (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Because when you get there, you realize that it's all about the hats. You really are kind of not fitting in too well. So you're more noticeable by the fact that you don't have anything on your head. Absolutely. Does does your clientele also vary in age? They do. They do. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people thought that a hat was mostly for an older woman. And that is a large segment of who my customers are. But nowadays... Oh, my gosh. Um, I always say in most of my interviews that over the years, the biggest challenge was to get a young woman to wear a hat because they spend so much money on their hair and they don't want to cover it Mm -hmm. up. They're in love with their Mm -hmm. hair. But when those royal weddings happen, it changed the game. Really? 
when they saw these young women looking fabulous and a hat was part of their ensemble, the young royals, all of a sudden, all these young girls wanted to wear hats. They were going to high tea. They were having hat themed, you know, baby showers, hat themed everything. And all of a sudden, you know, it's popular culture does dictate what people wear. Talk about your price range of hats. I would have to imagine it goes mm-hmm. from one end to another. I have some hats in that $89 range. I try to keep a lot of hats in that range and, and a few that are, are, are hint lower. Mm-hmm. And then I have uh, expensive hats that are, you know, in the $300 range. And I would say my most expensive hats are in the $1,200 range. But I do stock a lot of the lower end just for regular everyday people who need a hat, who love hats and are not going to spend $500 on a hat because that's not that's not what they need. They don't need that high fashion editorial stuff. Right. They're not going to the Met Gala. Mm-hmm. They're going to work every day and they want a really cute hat to match their coat. That also functions, has a function in addition to uh, just being a fashion uh, yeah. statement. Yeah, it's going to be functional and fashionable at the same time. The baseball cap is not the solution mm-hmm. to, to your casual style. Okay. Not for a woman. It has to be a little bit more fashionable than just a baseball cap. So, yeah, we want you to wear something prettier. You know. so, so do hats have names? They can, especially some of my more outrageous pieces, you know. I have a hat you probably saw that I made that looks like a Victrola. So, you know, I call it the Victrola, you know. But, you know, there are, there are hats that are sort of based on Roaring Twenties kind of flapper girl looks. Right. And, you mm-hmm. know, and then there are traditional shapes that have had their names forever, like a fedora mm-hmm. for a right. man or a cloche or a cloche for right, a woman right, right. or a toque or a turban, you know. There are hats that have traditionally have names. Have mm-hmm. you designed hats for women, particularly who need to have head coverings because of their religious beliefs? Um, I've had several Orthodox religious women as customers over the mm-hmm. years. I have hats that, you know, will cover your head, you know, appropriately, right. I should right. say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, for your religion. I try to make sure that I cover all the needs. No pun intended. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, there may be someone who is suffering from hair loss. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And we want to, yeah. And we want to make sure that I have several styles that would really, you know, cover that whole thing. And no one would know that you were losing your hair. Does it so, give you mm-hmm. pause, Aveta, when you look back over how all this began? I am grateful. Over the years, there have been some wonderful, wonderful opportunities. And um, who knows what the future will hold? I mean, I've worked on several television shows, doing hats, you know, for movies. Uh, I did hats for uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix. I had a hat on the TV show Power, on the TV show Botch, that plastic surgery show, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, the bowl type. Uh, married to medicine. So to be watching a, a show, I mean, I just did uh, three hats for Queen Latifah's show, The Equalizer. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
it's so exciting. It's so exciting to be watching TV and see, oh my gosh, she's wearing Isn't my hat. Crazy. How many people do you employ? Uh, I just have one uh, person. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. My, myself and one person. So mm-hmm. you pretty much spend most of your waking hours in the Harlem Seven, which I guess is not a bad place to be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. It's exciting and it's rewarding and it's hard work. Oh, undeniably. It's, 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 it's all good. Though. Have you shared <laughs> this with up and coming milliners? Like I said, I am part of the Milliners Guild and there is an educational component to the guild. We have young up-and-coming members who we impart our wisdom and skills with, you know, or two. So there is there is a bit of an educational component to that. We we share we share our skills and our knowledge from over the years. Can you share what kind of accessories you also design? Because I certainly mentioned that you do that as well. Um, earrings and brooches mostly, uh, but I do a huge amount of hat pins. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Which is something that hardly anybody makes anymore. (laughs) But I do decorative hat pins and made from a collection of beads that I've either bought, uh, you know, when I was uh, traveling around the world and I mixed them with vintage beads, like beautiful old crystals. And they're quite unusual, but I make a lot of hat pins just as an accessory to, to, you know, you can take a plain hat and put a really beautiful pin in it. And it's just a, it's a lovely touch. So is there anything that you haven't done that you would like to do? I like my own uh, television show. Uh, <laughs> it's not something that that will never happen. Uh, I'm sure it will at some point. I did a segment on Access Hollywood about a month ago, and it was sort of a do-it-yourself. I was showing them how to make a little fascinator hat, and I could see myself doing that as a regular show, just teaching a little bit Mm -hmm. or styling or, you know, or just reality about my, my hat world. (laughs) I can't imagine you couldn't get somebody to rep you, you know, (laughs) to share this because I don't know. Mm -hmm. Kentucky Derby Royal Ascot, the Royals notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there are a lot of people who are aware of this thriving business. It's so funny because like I said, a lot of people get introduced to hats only because an occasion comes up where they have to wear right. one. And cause I've had people come in and they were like, cause my store is jam packed full of hats. There's like 500 hats on the floor, you know, and people say, Oh my God, you know, I never knew that this hat thing was such a huge thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. You know, and now, and then they're like, well, what do I choose? I thought I'd see, you know, 30 hats and there's hundreds. <laughs> and so you must get repeat offenders, right? Who come back time oh, yeah. after time. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, there are people that love hats and collect them. I mean, I have customers that have 100 hats. That's not even outrageous for people who love hats. You may not own a hat, but there are people who own lots of hats. <laughs> who is your competition? Well, you know, I don't really like to think about my colleagues as competition. There are other 
milliners, you know, that are doing great mm-hmm. things, but we don't think of each other as competition, mainly because our aesthetics are so different. Right, right. You know, my hats don't really look like everybody else's hats and vice versa. And, and, and a lot of my colleagues will say I was flipping through Vogue. And I saw Gigi Hadid, this was back in March, wearing this big, beautiful hat. Mm-hmm. She says, I knew it was yours even before I read the credits. Wow, wow. Your, your reputation <laughs> precedes you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you get a lot of uh, famous folk walking into your store? Most famous folk have stylists. Hello. They yes. don't really shop for themselves. Right, right. So I get the stylists of famous people <laughs> who that come through. But I've had I've had a couple of celebrities in the shop. I mean, Patty LaBelle has been in the shop. Mm-hmm. She came and and picked out her hats in person. You get people in, but mostly you get stylists. I'm curious. Have you ever been to the Kentucky Derby? I have not. You got to go. Well, I don't know if I can. Who's going to do those last minute FedExes to their hotel? (laughs) You'll have to just schlep them with you. And uh, I mean, (laughs) well, that's another thing. Hats are not easy to travel with. Okay, I'm I'm sure. I'm sure. What's your favorite fabric to work with? I like uh, crinoline, which we call horsehair. I like making fascinators out of that. I love adding feathers. Uh, that's probably my favorite. What is the most outrageous yeah. hat you've ever designed? My most outrageous hat I did for uh, Junior LaBeja. He is a very, very famous man in the ballroom scene. I don't know if you saw a movie back in the 80s. It was called Paris is Burning. Sure. He was the he was the MC. Right. This is what Pose is so, all about, the TV show Pose. Exactly. Pose is patterned after that movie. So anyway, the original MC, who Billy Porter's character right. is patterned from, his name is Junior LaBeja, and he's alive and well and fabulous. And I do a lot of his headpieces for his events. I did a top hat for him that we covered with five little blackbirds, and I hung Swarovski crystal from the beaks of the birds oh and then I covered the top hat with brooches and other jewels because the birds were jewel thieves oh. <laughs> and then I added this long veil to the top of the hat so you've got this big black top hat covered in black birds with jewels on Junior LaVeja, who's a very tall, very wow, man. gentleman. Oh, my gosh. That is <laughs> so just that's, crazy. That's one of my outrageous pieces. Oh. <laughs> or maybe the most. It sounds like it could be the most. <laughs> that's a hard act to follow. Right. <laughs> so is there anything that you haven't done that you'd like to do creatively? Creatively? I guess more stuff for film. I did my first major uh, piece for a Broadway show. I did Harvey Firestein's hat for the Bella Abzug play. Oh, sure. Bella Bella. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you saw it, but that big red Bella Abzug hat, I made that for Harvey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was really, really, really a nice thing to add to the resume to do the Broadway show. Yeah. And more of that would be awesome. Wow. But I, I have my sights set on television. I guess it's like <laughs> picking your favorite child. Do you have a favorite hat style? <laughs> well, um, 
Let's see. New ones are always the favorites. When I discover a new technique, that becomes the favorite. And when you're sitting and you're manipulating fabric by hand, and all of a sudden the turn of a hand will give a, uh, this little headpiece an entirely, like a whole new look, but you've been making it the other way forever. Mm. And you've discovered this new technique. So like the latest hats that I've made out of the horse hair, I sort of did a, a, a sweeping piece over the eye. So it's like the veiling is built uh -huh. in. So these little head pieces that I've started to make recently are kind of my favorites right now. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Abetta. Maybe I'll just show up there one day and see <laughs> what you can do for me in terms of making me feel comfortable in a piece of your creativity gracing my head. I would love that. I would love that because I think that there's a hat for everybody. And there are so many like really, really pretty shapes. And, you know, it's really just finding that right shape for you. I just realized that I didn't ask you, what the hell do you do for Easter bonnets? That must be a huge <laughs> holiday for you. It's a great holiday. And I march in the parade every year. Oh, I bet. With my, with my Milliner's Guild sisters. We wear our banners that say Milliner's Guild. And we strut down that avenue. And we get so much attention because we're all hat makers. We all have these really, really awesome hats on. And we get so much paparazzi. And it is just the most exciting day. But Easter's a big day. I would think. It's Easter, Mother's Day, the Kentucky Derby, Royal Ascot races, the Voob Clicquot polo matches, all other luncheons and weddings. This was literally fascinating, and I thoroughly enjoyed meeting and getting to know you. Maybe you've got a convert here. You never know. <laughs> I think so. I, I, I think I got you. I think you're coming in. <laughs> I'd like to give it a whirl. I really <laughs> I can't thank you enough for sharing your passion and your life's work. It's just been an absolute joy to meet and get to know you. It's been awesome, and I'm looking forward to seeing you inside of Harlem's Heaven Hat Shop. I hope you don't regret those words. <laughs> There's going to be some kind of party where you're going to say, you know what? I'm putting a hat on for or that. Or I could have a party just for myself and invite me and wear a hat. The hell with it, everybody else, right? Yeah. <laughs> you design hats for kids, by the way. Uh, occasionally. Okay. It's not a part of my, my line, right. but occasionally I will. I was just thinking about but that. It, yeah. Yeah. I have two mm -hmm. granddaughters. Mm -hmm. That's why I asked. Anyway, Avetta, <laughs> thank you so much. It was a real joy to meet and get to know you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <laughs> <laughs>